It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the downward dog position to Aljamain Sterling's title reign, Nicholas John Braccia the third. Good to be on with you, brother. We're going to talk about UFC 288 that happened last weekend, and we're going to dive into this, this weekend's fight card that is headlined by Jailton Almeida and Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Heavyweight is the new bantamweight. No, I don't know. I don't know. They seem like there, It just seems like there's a lot of heavyweight fights lately of some kind of ranking consequence. I mean, you can be you can be like a you can be like a really right. shitty fighter in any other division, and you can be a top ten guy at heavyweight. Well, except for who's who's the Russian guy that we thought was going to be the next thing, and then we realized he was Romanov still like in the top ten or twelve, I think, right? Well, yeah, I mean, well, you've got what's very weird is you've got um, there's a meta going on right now in heavyweight because like. John Jones isn't gonna fight Jelton Almeida. He's not gonna fight. Um, who's the, who's the guy? The uh, who's the awesome Russian dude that just fucked up Curtis Blades? Um, Pavlovich? No, he's, he's Pavlovich. Not, he's not yeah, gonna John Jones isn't gonna fight Almeida or Pavlovich. He's gonna fight Stipe. And like, you know, maybe there's some other celebrity fight to make after that. But he's no. <laughs> John Jones isn't gonna hang around to take on. Like young, powerful, natural heavyweight contenders. He's no, gonna, he's not. He this basically, is a, this yeah. is a this is a GSP at middleweight situation. Except yeah, he's you're gonna, right. You're yeah. right. He he just like found the great opportunity, right? He like put it put it in his head that he was gonna beat a really a guy with a huge hole, which to be fair didn't look like a huge hole until John Jones got to him uh, to gone, and then he decided he's gonna fight a forty something year old Stipe Miocic after you know who hasn't fought in a couple of years yeah, exactly. and yeah looked looked like he weighed about two fifteen the last time he fought yeah which to be fair uh, that's about as good as heavyweight gets anyway like what I picked Stipe's a ter- I mean Stipe's a terrific fighter Stipe is know? a terrific like, but again given his age given the fact that he's coming off a knockout um yeah. you know the, like this is the great this is the best time for John Jones to fight him to be fair oh Stipe, by far Stipe at his best maybe wouldn't have beat John Jones either don't get me wrong and and quite honestly they're both about 6-4 John Jones doesn't always do well against formidable opponents who are about the same size uh it just turns out that Gon wasn't that formidable right like like I can't imagine that John Jones is going to get on top of Stipe and submit him in eight seconds with a with a guillotine that doesn't look all the way in so no I don't think he's going to do that I just don't I don't think that Stipe's usual uh, tactics, and I think it probably goes five rounds. But I, um, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I just I think Stipe probably gets out dirty boxed. I think Stipe's not going to have the reach. I think Stipe's not going to be able to wrestle him. Uh, you know, I think Stipe will be. I think I think he will be competitive in defeat. I just don't really see. Um, I don't see a great path to victory. I'm curious. Here for him. In, yeah. Um, unless John Jones like doesn't try. It doesn't doesn't train, but this is his last fight. He'll he'll he'll, yeah. he'll do that camp. You you would you would think so, but also I wonder what's he going to do afterward? Like is he really going to retire, man? I don't believe in any fighter's first time retirement. Whether it be Zalgar Shumagula, Khabib is the only one that I was like he probably is done because he's not the kind of guy to like make a decision, you know, hastily like that and, and make an announcement about it. But 
definitely like like John Jones's first retirement. I'm not going to buy into it until it's official. Like, what else is he going to do? What else is he actually going to do to no. make money? It doesn't seem like he's like a brilliant businessman. I'm sure he's involved in a bunch of things, but he also like I think he loves the competition. He loves the attention he gets, especially since now he's suddenly making serious revenue as a pay per view draw. Right, uh, according to one of the UFC brass, he this was the biggest. Uh, selling pay-per-view in the last 12 months the john jones cyril gone one and it certainly was not because of cyril gone so the mystique of john jones definitely came up quite a bit with his absence with some of the noise that he was making while he was away with the anticipation of him coming in at heavyweight him coming in a little pudgy you know probably added to it as well right anything that'll add to the storyline and it became a pretty good selling pay-per-view now that might mean that it it, for, uh-huh. yeah that'll work for casuals but I, I i'd be more curious to see him defend against this new crop you know, I mean, obviously, yeah, that would be the dream. Um, I'm curious. Not going to happen. I think he's likely going to come back for like like interesting fights. I don't know if Ngannou is ever going to find his way back to the UFC. Like, I feel like this is really bad PR for him, and I feel like it's affecting his negotiating power with other promoters. With BKFC, basically, you know, uh, giving him the back. Oh, Ngannou's fucked in the media. Yeah, it, it doesn't look good, but. I still think like he can make a heavyweight boxing fight. Fight Joshua, somebody who doesn't have the best chin in the world. You you have a chance against Joshua that you don't have against. Uh, I still Tyson think Fury. he. Can, I, oh yeah, he's gonna get I thrashed, think he's too but, slow. I think he's yeah, too he's slow, and he'll get. Ja- I think he'll get jabbed up. And, There's so many elements to it for sure. But he has a, a a slight chance against Joshua that he doesn't have against uh, Wilder, and he doesn't have against Fury. So I would say put that fight together, make six to ten million dollars. Like I thought, he I thought he could make twenty. I don't 30. think Anthony Joshua takes that fight. Anthony Joshua oh, can. It seems like his you, people are interested. I thought that Joshua was fighting Wilder. Maybe if I was Joshua, I would take this fight first, make this money. Um, I, I I wouldn't. If you lose, if you get knocked out by Deontay Wilder, it's not embarrassing. You're not losing to somebody from another sport. No, but why, why put yourself in a position to get knocked out by the heaviest hitter in boxing before facing the heaviest hitter in MMA? To be fair, like still probably going to beat Ngannou after, but. But why would you put yourself in that position? Don't take that concussion. Get the easier fight first. Make that money. Your leverage then for a bigger payday against uh, against Wilder is there. Um, but Nick, we're not here to discuss heavyweight boxing, even though obviously Ngannou has a connection to a serious connection to MMA. I'm still hoping it's. I'm gonna like eat Ngannou's your children. Gonna <laughs> I'm gonna eat. <laughs> uh, it sounds Sorry. like Ngannou's gonna <laughs> sign with PFL, and and yeah. and maybe that's for the best. I like that PFL. Is he's gonna fight. He's things. gonna fight Kayla Harrison. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be that'll be something. I will say quickly, both Thiago Santos and um, who's that Polish fellow who fights an American top team who recently tested positive at MPFL, who debuted with Thiago Santos. Um, two UFC fighters making the trek over to PFL, failing their first drug test. Both got oh, Thiago Santos popped. Yeah, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, in PFL, God, I mean dude, UFC like, fighters you have to try in PFL to get popped. You guys, in, I mean, UFC guys have not had a lot of success. I mean, P- what's, Pettis has not had a great run. No, but again, they're, they're going over there when they're no longer good for the UFC, when they're way past it in the UFC. But he went in there against Rob Wilkinson and lost a, lost a pretty clear-cut decision. Like, it was very one-sided. And on the same card, we had, um, we had uh, what, is, what is that gentleman's name? Uh, Christoph Jotko, who lost a split decision to uh, probably a fight that he maybe should have edged and won. Lost a split decision and then got popped for steroids too. So, dude, not a good look for UFC. Excuse me, UFC fighters outside of the UFC. Um, Shane Burgos came in there and lost this fight, right? Like, PFL is showing that they have some real talent. I think their structure allows for some serious prospects to come in and be like, listen, I'm going to make this million dollars. Um, I be mean, some he will, yeah, Shane point. Burgos lost to another ex UFC guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, but that, uh, that, OBM, Olivier, the kid from Montreal. Right, Olivier Aubin Mercier, but. 
um, Ob- like he really developed in the PFL. Like he had his experience in the UFC, but he's really putting together a whole new game in the PFL now. He's a much better striker than he was before, and he's still got that wrestling pedig- uh, you know, that wrestling skill behind it. Um, dude is like cleaning up in the PFL. I believe he's undefeated there. So that's see again the difference between a, a young prospect who gets cut from the UFC for some strange reason. Um, and then gets into the PFL, and the difference between a way past it pro uh, like Tiago Santos and Jotko, though, man, Jotko was fighting at 205 against like kind of a raw opponent, and it was really close and back and forth. It was weird. In any case, Nick, we got to dive into what we have to talk about in this podcast. We only have about an hour to talk about this. Let's talk about UFC 288 Sterling versus Cejudo. What were your thoughts on that five round main event? Um. You know, it was it was interesting. It's like I just don't know if the discrepancy, like Cejudo had Cejudo, to me looked a little bit slow, like ten to twenty percent slower, less a little less explosive, and also just you know way smaller. Like yes, he fought a fairly tall bantamweight in Dominic Cruz, but that was an older, slightly slower Dominic Cruz. He fought. Um, you know, Dillashaw at 125, Dillashaw was small and short. He fought, you know, Melvin Moraes, who also wasn't isn't very tall. Like, he looked, you know, he was at such a, such a reach advantage. And his, his explosiveness and elusiveness did not make up the difference. So he was, it was a really grueling fight. He was fighting up uphill the entire fight. And he never lost, um, you know, he's a champion, right? The guy never lost hope. He never stopped trying. Nope. But had a good fifth round. He had a very good fifth round, but I think that was more because like Sterling was, you know, more. Con- Sterling really took the fifth round off. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame which, him. Which you know, was risky, dude. Doing like that. it's not like that fight was that one sided. The second and third I thought round, it was. Per- I thought the. Uh, I thought there was only one. You know, two maybe. Yeah, I, I guess it was a little risky. I thought that, like. Yeah, Stur- like if if uh, if Cejudo had gotten the decision, um, I would have been very surprised. And uh, I I was a Cejudo fan, so I was probably looking and I was pushing for him, so I was probably watching it through that lens. But Sterling's uh, Sterling's a cl- complete fighter. He's got good. He's got good. He's got good fight IQ. He listens to his corner. Love his trainers. His striking. Uh, his striking's gotten better. He's more. I think he's more confident in it now. Uh, he's using his reach uh, better, and he did not. You know, he this is a fight where he he did not rely uh, wholly on the same tools that usually cash in victories for him. So, like, can't talk shit about Aljo Sterling. He's the best one thirty five pounder in the world until someone proves otherwise. That's damn like, right, and that's why I picked him last week, dude. He's really good, and he keeps getting. I also I I didn't I bet that I bet that Cejudo was more or less going to be the same Cejudo. And I do think, um, I do think that he lost. A, I think I thought he lost a bit of explosiveness. He was more or he less looked, the same. So Hudo is just extremely hard. I thought he was slower. On, I don't think he was that much slower. I think it's extremely hard to land on Sterling clean. Period. Like he was throwing with good technique. He was throwing fairly fast. Maybe he was a little bit slower. Um, but you know, filling out at one thirty-five, getting a little bit older, past that thirty-six mark, right? Yeah, he's, he's gonna he's gonna be a little bit slower. That's one of the things that go as you get older is your reflexes and your speed. Um, I thought he would create more scrambles and that he would come out on top in those scrambles. 
Yeah, I, I do hear that. It's just, and, and I, again, I, I felt like Sterling could possibly even take him down. And he did. He got more takedowns. There was a parlay at the beginning of the UFC uh, just before this fight happened. And one of those, like, hey, dr- like DraftKings suggested parlays that if you bet this, you're going to get crazy odds. And they almost never work out. But I saw that parlay, and it was Sterling wins by decision. Sterling lands more takedowns. And, um, and there was one more element to it. Maybe lands more strikes. And I thought, wait. All three of those things could actually happen in this fight. Like, this is a pretty legitimate parlay that you could throw and they $20 did. or $30. And they all did, yeah. Um, Sterling Sterling did a really solid job. Like, the big criticism on him, like, he has these really good kicks, right? He just consistently throws kicks, keeps you at kicking range. And then out of nowhere, when you're expecting kicks, he'll surprise you with a straight left or a straight right. The fact that he was chasing Yeah, he's kind of, I mean, he's gotten a little John Jonesy. Yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could see the comparison there, and that you know, John Jones against a good, opponent, except that like Sterling is fighting really good opposition, and John Jones is fighting two or five pounders and heavy. Oh, no, I just, I just mean, I, I just mean like prime John Jones, his ability to mix in, mix in those kicks, keep, yeah. keep his opponent at distance. You're I think Sterling a really good point in that John Jones is a good kicker, shitty boxing, um, has a good chin. Sterling's Sterling boxing's, Sterling's boxing's gotten better. Yeah, um, yeah, because not, his kicks and his takedowns make make that occasional jab, and he throws lots of jabs to his credit. Well, he's just more con- he's more confident in it now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think after getting fucking flattened by Marais, that he was scared to that he not scared, but that he was a little gun shy for. Yeah, he was a, more risk averse for a while there for sure. Um, and and again, like MMA math, right? Marais uh, looked really good against Cejudo early, and then got taken over and dominated. Knocked Sterling out, you know, in a minute. But that knockout in a minute, like, what does that really mean? If Sterling had, no, had made just, it, past it means he got that, caught. It means he got exactly. caught, and he bent. He bent the wrong way and made a mistake. Exactly, he, he zigged when he should have zagged, and it's not like it was this masterfully set up knockout. He zigged when he should have zagged, and he got caught. Um, realistically, he would have he would have gotten he would have probably beaten Marais, even Marais in his prime at his best. Yes, every, as as everybody gets went. caught. Agreed. More, most, more or less. I mean, Khabib got out before he got caught, but yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, and honestly, probably, you know, probably had a pretty good time. Probably could have made another two or three fights before he absolutely needed to retire, uh, you know, and risking a serious loss. But Sterling's offensive wrestling is really, really good. And we see now that it's not too far off a guy that won, you know, a gold medal in the Olympics 15 years ago. Sterling's he, Yes, he is a lot. I mean, he's a lot bigger than Cejudo, though. No doubt. And again, this is part of I the I mean, Cejudo looked fucking small. He looked like... He did. A, and yeah. he is. He's 5'4". He's... Not big. He's not tall for one twenty fiver. So like for he's him, all head. Yeah. He's like, like forty percent of his body is head. Yeah, and that's part of the reason he's able to take big shots to the head, right? Like I do think there's some correlation, and I know this is like bro science, but there I do think there's some correlation between having like a like a large jaw or, or a particularly large head and taking taking shots to the head and being able to absorb them. Uh, we see we saw that with Drew Dober through most of his career. We saw that with Vanderlei Silva up to a certain point. Um, you know, we see that with Cejudo, like who's really knocked down Cejudo with anything but the but a body shot, right? The dude is dude is really durable. Um, and and that's the thing is that their height appeared to be closer than it actually was because Cejudo has such a huge head, little stubby arms, little tiny legs. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. Sterling's wrestling, his grappling, he's his just... elite, his stand up is not super technical. It's not super clean, but he's extremely hard to land on. So his defense is effective, even though it's not conventional. And his kicking game makes it really hard to reach him. He's also five seven at one thirty five, which is a pretty solid height. He's going to be taller. Than Aljo's only five seven. I believe he's five seven. Yeah. Wow, he looks taller. I did not yeah. think I was taller than Aljo. Okay. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you gotta. If you were standing next to Aljo, you you would you, you would make the guy look very tiny. Um, around particularly around fight time, we're you, closer to that. Are you saying something about my about my weight? No, but yeah, like, he's five, no, but seven. you, you are you are you're a bigger human. You're you're probably around two hundred yeah. pounds. You know, Sterling probably walks around at like one sixty eight, one seventy. But when he's yeah. when he's close to fight time, like he's he's in those. Yeah, in I should sports. I should be one seventy, but yes. Yeah, no, fair. And again, um, you you are not an elite athlete at this point in life, and you you are you are a podcaster and a marketing executive, right? Uh, you're not expected to be in that kind of shape. Um, but yeah, Sterling did a really good job. So Hudo still got it, man. He can still win some fights. I'm very intrigued by the prospect. Of but him why? I mean, in, unless he goes money, dude. The I mean, yeah, he back here was money, money, or he goes the back to he retired, quote unquote, yeah. was in hopes that Dana White would be like, hey, come on, don't retire. Here's some more money. He didn't. He didn't give a shit. Um, and I'm not sure that his contract is much better now than it was previously. Um, probably a little bit, probably a little bit better, you would think. And this sold about 250,000 pay-per-view buys. It sounds like. I I actually think I'll probably be wrong. I actually think that Suhudo beats Marab. Uh, there's a decent chance, especially after going five rounds with with Sterling. But again, like uh, the question for me, and it still is the question: Who beats who in training, Sterling or Marab? Um, I've, I've gone back and forth on this, like based on what they say, based on how they talk about it. It's hard to really tell, but I, I kind of feel like maybe Sterling probably gets the edge at this point. Um, just given the size discrepancy, uh, but Marab in like a 10 rounder on paper should have the edge because Sterling does slow t- down. Well, the, that's the thing. I don't think that Cejudo will slow down. And I think that C- Marab is all for on just forward motion, relentlessness, I think I think Cejudo should be able to use that momentum against him to get advantageous positions. Yeah, it's very possible. And Marab also doesn't have the size of Sterling to be able to get those arms around Cejudo when he's in a literal split. Literally I'd be thrilled to watch. To I know. I, yeah, yeah. that would be great. And, and I'd think, be thrilled and to watch that fight. They could put it on the fight. same card as O'Malley versus Sterling. I think that would be awesome. And then if Marab wins, Sterling can move on and, and fight at 145. And Marab can get you the know, next That means it's a three-rounder. I mean, I kind of would want Cejudo. Cejudo and I mean, maybe they Listen, negotiate to do if, a five. Exactly. Like, a co-main event, especially on a pay-per-view, can be five rounds and both guys want it. It's just a matter of both guys actually wanting it. Um, we got five rounds with Bella Muhammad and Gilbert Burns. Was it the best fight in the world? No. Gilbert Burns hurt his shoulder early, didn't do B- shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bilal, as Bilal tends to do, really good fighter, really good jab. Uh, sharpening up his overall skill base. He didn't need to go for takedowns in this one. He knew he could outbox Gilbert Burns, especially hurt Gilbert Burns. Uh, but he, he was risk-averse, right? Bilal's just not a finisher. Him finishing um, his last yeah. fight is not a is not necessarily a sign that he's suddenly hitting on all cylinders. He's not a finisher. No. He's a really, really good fighter and, quite honestly, elite. He's just not at all dangerous. He did not use. Um, yeah, I thought he. I thought he would use more teeps. I thought he would throw more hooks. Um, yeah, I thought he would step on the gas a little more. But the thing that concerned me about Bilal, I'm a Bilal Muhammad fan, is I thought that his footwork looked pretty poor a couple of times, and I and I saw him almost tripping himself up. And I wor- I think, I, I just don't think Leon Edwards is a good matchup for him. I, I, I mean, look, I picked Bilal Muhammad in that Leon Edwards matchup. And again, for Bilal Muhammad to lose the first round, that means very little. If Bilal Muhammad could keep the pressure on Leon, who Leon is known for backing up to the fence and, and kind of allowing you to take that pressure, if you're standing across from Leon and giving him the space he needs to work, he's going to do well. Um, you know, he's not going to have this, like Bilal is probably a little more capable of ha- getting better entrances for takedowns. He has a better chin than does Kumar Usman at this point in his career. Um, his knees are healthier than Kumar Usman's. 
he can get takedowns against Leon Edwards. It's possible. Leon Edwards could possibly get takedowns against him, to be fair. Um, and he can potentially, down the stretch in that third, fourth, and fifth round, start to put it on Edwards and really just outpace, outpace him in a way that possibly Colby can do. Um, I'm just I'm just not sure that I don't think Colby's as technical with his stand up as is Bilal. Although Colby is just relentless, relentless pressure generally. Although again, lately has been slowing down on, on his pressure as well, which is why part of what makes that Leon matchup more intriguing. But look, but Bilal won a boring decision. That's about what we expected. Uh, I didn't particularly think that Sterling versus Zahudo was super fun to watch, but it, it was it was a game of inches, right? It was a, it was a chess match. Each guy had to make adjustments to account for the other guy's success, and it did. And honestly, rounds two, um, super close round two, but Sterling did land more. Round three, I thought Cejudo probably won round three. Round five, Cejudo definitely won. Um, round four and round one are clearly clearly enough Sterling's. They're still competitive rounds. So really, I think mm-hmm. a lot of it hinges on round two, which way you swing, and uh, and you know I have, I have no problem with Sterling getting the. A lot of people gave Cejudo. More people than I thought gave Cejudo the uh, the fight. Yeah, I mean, if you look at MMA decisions, not very many people, but I agree that overall... I meant, I meant on Twitter. I meant, like, pro yeah, fighters on Twitter. Yeah, I hear that. And that's the thing, is that there's a bias element to it. Like, let's face it, Sterling yes. is not likable. I actually like the guy. I, 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 I like his... Uh, I, don't like, find, I don't find him unlikable. No, but I mean, but I, love that, Jersey, I love that camp. Which is just, like, literally miles from where you grew up. New Jersey. Oh, no, he got booed. You got booed in New Jersey and, and Henry Cejudo. Granted, the, the appearance of it, right, was Henry Cejudo being the little guy facing this much bigger man. And Henry Cejudo really going for it when he's throwing strikes. Whereas Sterling looked like he's just trying to keep him at a distance. Sterling on all fours, you know, at portions of the fight is not a good look for either likability or for the judges. So, you know, there's, there's other elements to it. I think people find Sterling to be annoying. Um, look, there's a lot of cringe in this division. Henry Cejudo, Aljamain Sterling. Um, wh- wh- O'Malley. O'Malley, dude. There's just a tremendous amount of cringe at the top of this division. And nobody is more cringy than these three guys who are basically, you know, going through each other with title shots and, and the such. If Henry Cejudo- what about Tavashvili, though? Every- he's the opposite of cringe. Everybody yeah. loves him. You yeah. saw the, ja- oh, yeah. the jacket? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't... It's, uh, it's kind of silly because... This was Sterling's moment, and like, why would he do it then? And like, why, why should that moment be all about you? Because he put the jet, like, like that. that I, I just, think, I just think he was, I just think he was trolling him, and it, like, I don't know. Probably, who but knows. the attention should have been on your best friend, who, who's got the title around his waist, and is in a face-off with the guy. Like, you, you, like, I'm a little bit like, again, not the biggest deal. Marab is still a great guy and really likable, but it was just a weird move in that way. And I don't think, I don't think he thinks way. like that. This is a guy who hangs out out on the ledges of buildings and gets like photographed. Like he's a weird, weird he, he, motherfucker. He's, he's an insane guy, but he also realizes that you got to make sacrifices for good social media content. Nick, we talked about, Oh, by the way, I got the main event. Correct. I got the co-main event. Correct. I got this fight. Correct. Yan Zhaonan but you're still Jessica you're Andrade. a point behind me still, right? I am still a point behind you, but Nick, that's two events in a row that I won, and you and I both know I should have gotten two points on Pavlovich a couple of events ago, and I would have had uh, I would have been in the lead right now had that counted. But that's okay, Nikolai. I will I will take my lead my way. That is all good. We are now only two points apart, Nikolai. Um, Yan Zhaonan versus Jessica Andrade. Had you not picked Jessica Andrade, I would have picked Yan. I would have gotten those two points. That would have oh. been a three point swing. I would have been in the lead right now. Unfortunately. My underdogs that I did end up having the opportunity to pick did not come through. Um, G- Virna Jandaroba, another fight that I was like, dude, Virna has Virna's going to win this fight. Virna has the better. Wrestling. Yeah, I got. The, I sure got that one wrong. 
Um, yeah, yeah, and, and and you and I. Had, and by the way, what the happens, fuck was Marina Rodriguez thinking, though? What do you mean? That's how do you exactly go into how the, she fights? That's how she always fights. Marina Rodriguez is a really good grappler and wrestler, and Marina Rodriguez is, is poor defensively when it comes to that. Well, she should have. Tr- she, yeah. Well, she should have trained better. <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> so. But the thing fight. is that Marina Rodriguez hasn't really. Developed she did much better way. against other. I didn't think that. I didn't think that. I haven't seen Vanderoba shoot it like. You know, GSP fucking double legs like that Dude, before. Took down Angela Hill multiple times and like clearly won a decision against her. Marina Rodriguez is right about there when it comes to just overall like like her ranking in MMA. But more importantly, Angela Hill is more well rounded than Marina Rodriguez. I know that Marina Rodriguez is brilliant. At yeah, her I she just won't give in. She won't let you catch. Her I position. underrated. I underrated Jirna. Yeah, Virna Virna's legit, man. I'm a, I'm a I'm I'm a fan of her game overall, and I'm glad that again, if she had this kind of confidence going into the Mackenzie Dern matchup, she would have beaten Mackenzie Dern. Like, yeah, she just needed to get takedowns and be on top and land some shots here and there. Just stay safe and land some shots. She would have won that fight. She would have been fine um, on top of of uh, of Dern. And worst case, if Dern gets a dominant position at one point in a round, she would have been fine surviving. Um, it's just I think a different game plan would have given her the win there. So Yan Jianan. Excellent counter striking. She's seventeen and three, dude. Really incredibly impressive record. We've seen Jessica Andrade get roughed up by really good counter fighters because she's sloppy. She always throws hooks, uh, th- always throws loopy hooks. And her way to win this fight was by getting takedowns. And Yan just just took it out of her man. Didn't give her the opportunity to even get there. Got her out of there within two and a half minutes of the first round. Really impressive stuff by her man. Well, we ready to. Uh... You want to move on? Just quickly, Movsar Evloev, Charles Jordan, Cron Gracie, Butt Scoot. Like, let's get that out of the UFC. It doesn't belong here anymore. Matt Frivola, man, with a huge upset over Drew Dober. That guy's really been putting his game together. Ray Longo and, and clearly just develops solid strikers out of good grapplers. Like, consistently. Wait, man, Ray Longo. Matt huh? Frivola is, is training with Ray Longo? Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, him. He's a, he's a Ray Longo guy for a little while now. Um, and then we got uh, Kennedy as a Chukwu. We expected Chaos Williams, man. Super close fight. Could have gone either way. And outside that of fun. that... Oh, uh, Ikram, uh, another one of my underdog picks was Phil Hawes because I thought Phil Hawes had a decent chance. He looked gr- he looked fantastic. He did. Until, but that Until always happens. That always happens. It's just Ikram has really bad striking and no power. And Phil Haas is showing me now that he just cannot take a clean strike, period. He just cannot do it. He just has all the offensive talent in the world, none of the durability, um, none of the decision-making. Like, he, he just, unfortunately, is a huge, huge waste of talent uh, in mixed martial arts. But apparently he was a really good wrestler. Nikolai, let's move on with our lives. We are going to get into UFC on ABC4, Rosenstrike versus Almeida. Nick, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm mistaken, I think that you have the first pick this week, brother. What will it be? I think I, I think I do have the first pick, brother. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Oh boy, there's so many interesting ones. I think to start, I don't have a lot of uh, faith in, nor have I been impressed with, or particularly. Like, although respect for being from Ukraine, uh, Ihor Poteria. Um, I, yeah, he beat Shogun. C- congratulations. Um, I do, however, uh, have liked uh, Carlos Olberg uh, for quite a while. City kickboxing guy. Yeah, he he had that. He had his pro- got his prospect loss out of the way early when he completely gassed against Kennedy uh, and Zuchukwu, which, you know, that loss is looking like a better and better loss as, as we realize Kennedy's, like, Legit, putting yeah. it to putting it together and, like, looks, you know, he's going to be one of those guys who ends up being more Johnny Walker. He'll be what we thought Johnny Walker was. Um, 
Uh, so he's looking pretty good. But his last three wins, Olberg has looked really fucking good. Um, I think he's a talented guy. I think he should be able to uh, to get Pateria out of there uh, pretty quickly. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Olberg uh, to to win this fight by TKO in the first or second round. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. There's a chance this could be a snoozer with Olberg just like keep staying really safe against a tall range of kickboxer because he is generally risk averse. And if he can get that left hook counter, he can really hurt a dude. But if he can't, then, you know, could could be a longer fight. But Ihor Pretoria didn't show a whole lot of heart in his UFC debut. And, you know, he, he ran over Shogun after that. And it's a great opportunity for him. Unfortunately, he did this weird, like, Ukrainian dance after, and, and that made him all the less likable. Uh, didn't give him the shine that I think he was hoping for with the knockout win over Shogun. I agree with you. I think Carlos Orbuk should win this fight, and uh, there's only you know there, there's this this is one of the more confident picks. It's just with Ulberg, you know what happens if if a fight goes long? How much cardio does he have? Or Pretori, after all, does have like I think he I, has. Uh huh. I I got I gotta believe that it's city kickboxing that they've got Ulberg's cardio under control. You, People you at that gym so, yeah. don't gas, and I I really think that his first UFC fight off of Contender Series. He had Kennedy on the ropes. I think he had. I think he just adrenaline fucking dumped. Well, I, I like, think I think Kennedy put a tremendous amount of pressure on him, and it's hard for anybody not to get gassed with that much pressure on you. With a taller yeah. man throwing a hundred strikes per round at you, you can clock him all you want. If he's durable enough to make it through those first couple of minutes and has the cardio edge, you, like you're going to be exhausted, and 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 that's only human, especially in yeah. your UFC debut. But here's the thing: Ihor Pretoria is nineteen and three. Carlos Lundberg is 7-1, and one, so there's a huge experience discrepancy. But then if you look at Igor Pretoria's overall, like his opponents, right? Best opponent he's beaten up until his UFC debut was um, was an 8-0 Luis Sadulski. Outside of that, I'm seeing 0-3-0 and in just two fights prior to that. 0-0-0 for, uh, for an opponent, a couple of fights prior to that. 17-18 and 18 guy in Philippe Nussou. He went to a split decision with that dude. 1-9 and nine opponent prior to that. 0-0 opponent prior to that. 5-6 and six prior to that. 1-2, and 3-2. One and six. These are the records of the majority of his 19 wins, um, uh, of the opponents in, the, in that 19 fight wins that he uh, picked up. So I tend to agree with you. I think uh, Carl Soberg should have his way here. Next, I'm going to take from the matchup. And again, I've, I've compared this gentleman to John Jones. I'm not saying he's necessarily nearly as good, but he's clearly talented and he's clearly got a lot going for him early in his UFC career. I'm going to take Carl Williams to beat up Chase Sherman in a one-sided matchup. Carl Williams is a phenomenal wrestler. He out-wrestled the Penn State University guy uh, in his contender series bout. Completely dominated him. Took the fight on a couple days' notice. Won his second UFC fight against a pretty good opponent. Completely one-sided. Just just literally out-wrestled him at will. Did whatever he wanted against a heavyweight kickboxer. And he's got a heavyweight kickboxer in this matchup who's got not very much power. He's got decent output. Terrible defense. I think Williams should be able to outstrike him if he wants to. He should be able to get takedowns at will. Um, the only thing is that Williams, honestly, could be a 205-pounder. So at some point, he might run into a heavyweight that's just a little bit too big for him. But I, I see some serious, serious talent in this dude. Um, and, and I think I think it could be something special. So I've got Carl Williams to beat Chase Sherman. Wow. I, uh, you, you, that shows you how much confidence you have in this guy to go, um, you know, to go with a heavyweight pick. That's like, a good point. Yeah. This, I'm, I, again, this. I'm a big, big believer in this dude in particular. Got it. Um, oof. Okay, for my next fight, I'm going to go with uh, you know someone who has impressed us both over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Alex, Alex Morano, um, who was on a, a hell of a streak, and then um, you know wins over Donald Cerrone, David Suada, Mickey Gall, and Matt and Matthew Semmelsberger. 
before, if I recall, looking really good against Santiago uh, Ponzinibbio for two rounds um, uh, before eating a shot. And Ponzinibbio, I still believe, does have a, a lot in the tank. I still think he's a top, a solid top 15, you know, maybe like top 12 guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, at this stage in his career, with the experience that he has, Alex Moreno should not, you know, should not lose to a 39-year-old Tim Means coming off of, uh, you know, losses to Kevin Holland and, and Max Griffin. Uh, Murano should have, um, really should have the advantage everywhere. Um, so I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm going to go with the with the younger fighter on the upswing versus, uh, versus the grizzled veteran. I don't, you know, there was a time, there's still kinds of prospects that I think that Means can get, um, wins over. I don't think Alex Morano is a prospect anymore. I think he's, you know, I think he's a gatekeeper. He's a 32-year-old, 30, uh, you know, stalwart that's had some big moment fights and some some step-up fights, and he's been in there with former champions. Um, so I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with him. And also when he does run into, you know, run into trouble, it's against guys with with sick power, you know, K.S. Williams, Ponzinibbio. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, like, does Tim Means have some pop? Like, yeah, but he doesn't, he's not a guy that's got fight-changing, you know, he doesn't have fight-changing power. Uh, so, and I can't even see the last, like, win by strikes, you know, that he had. Maybe, tw- tw- yeah, I get Ricky Rainey, maybe 2018. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with Morano. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you on the pick. Um, I, you know, I like Alex Morano a lot. And early, since early on in his UFC career, he was talking about how he's never going to be, like, one of the best fighters in the world. Um but but he like he's scrappy and, and and he's hard-headed but honestly he's getting there he's one of the better fighters at welterweight in the world and he showed that in his last matchup he took that fight on very short notice against Ponzinibbio yes me full training camp he's not losing by knockout in that third round dude i think that makes a lot of difference and in which case we're talking about a five fight winning streak uh that includes you know Donald Cerrone Matthew Semmelsberger uh, Mickey Gall, you know, David Zawada, not exactly high level, but still, like, he's he's putting it together. Uh, he's got, you know, wins over Zach Otto, Max Griffin earlier in his UFC career. Pretty good opposition. Like, he's he's a little train that could. And the thing about Tim Means is he's really, he's really, he's a good fighter. He's really good everywhere. His wrestling is pretty decent. Grappling is pretty solid. His boxing is really good. And his kicks come in behind that, and they make they can make a difference, too. The problem is that just in any moment, his durability is not what it used to be. So at any moment, out of nowhere, he could just get clocked and hurt badly, and then the fight starts to go against him. Or he can get clocked and finished. And uh, Murano is is capable of winning a decision here. He's capable of hurting him. I do think there's a little more risk than to pick this fight this early, but I tend to agree with you. I think, like, like Tim Means in his prime, maybe this is easily a back-and-forth fight with even odds, but at this point, you got to go with Alex Murano. The concern is Murano is coming off of a knockout loss, right? How much has he recovered? He's a relatively young guy, but still, like, the fact anytime that happens, the chin could be affected long-term, especially if you jump right into a training camp. And he was knocked out in December, so, you know, it's about four four to five months, that means he maybe took two months off, which doesn't sound like quite enough. Um, so cu- curious to see how his chin holds up to Tim Means boxing, but I got to go with Alex Morona here as well. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Jailton Almeida, the main event. Rosenstrike is really powerful. He's got a lot of kickboxing experience, right? But he's a guy that's known for his low output. He can be taken down, and much like Marino Rodriguez, he survives. He waits for that next round, or maybe if he's lucky, come gets back up to his feet and does some damage. He waits for a huge counter opportunity and explodes with a big combo, but the waiting 
is what the majority of his fights consist of. Whereas Jelton Almeida is like what looks like just a super strong, really, really, really good offensive grappler. Whether it be his ground and pound from dominant position, whether it be his ability to choke you out. Um, the thing with him is the way he shoots, right? Like he shoots basically head forward, hips back, instead of keeping his hips under him with a proper double leg or a proper, or a proper single leg shot. The concern is the way that he's shooting. His form is a little bit off. The fact is he hasn't really been deep in a fight. How is his cardio going to hold up if Jarzino Rosenstrike survives the first two rounds, right? These are question marks. Um, I'm just not sure if Rosenstrike is the guy to exploit them. Yeah, he just um, hasn't fought. He also hasn't fought a, a a guy yet, right? This is his puncher test. He's fought yep. in the UFC. He's fought uh, some solid, you know, some whatever, some some, some solid opposition, opposition, I suppose. Yeah. And of course, they're heavyweights. They can all hit hard, but he has not. He has not fought a heavyweight guy who's a who is a one shot stopper. Yeah, and Rosenstrike has that potential. Yes. And, and listen, like you also have to look at the stats when you talk about this matchup. Jelton Almeida has taken a total of how many? How many strikes do you think he's taken in total in the UFC? Thirty-one. In his, in his five fights, he's taken nine strikes in total, Nick. And you know what? Wow. Seven of those nine strikes were in his were in his first UFC fight. That means he took a total of two strikes in his last four fights against. Uh, Danilo Marquez, Parker Porter, Anton Turkaj, and Shamil Abdurahimov. But that one shot he took against Abdurahimov, man, you know, he did did seem to daze him a little bit. So there's an opening here for Jardinio Rosenstrike. I got to go with Almeida. I tend to think he should be able to get him out of there within two rounds. And uh, and if it goes past that, though, man, Jardinio Rosenstrike has a solid chance of of uh, getting him out of there at some point because Jelton's just not proven uh, going deep into a fight. I just, I want to see more development from him, so I'm hoping the UFC matches him up with a grappler next time that he can just purely stand up against. I want him to practice it. I want him to take some shots. I want him to test his cardio. He needs that for the development of his game. If he doesn't do that, he's going to take a prospect loss on his way to contendership, or maybe as a contender even, but you know, this guy should be developed a little bit more slowly. Also, he's a guy that former 205-pounder, coming in at heavyweight now, seems to be a permanent move to heavyweight, but you know, what happens when he faces those giants with good grappling? Yeah. What you got next, brother? Um, two heavyweights in my boy. first two picks, Nick. I'm taking major risk here. I'm making a big mistake. Yeah, it's very... Uh, very Nick Braccia of me. Although I, I guess I, I would have already picked a, a woman's fight if I was trying to be more like Nick Braccia. No, there's not... I mean, there's there's not a ton of those. Uh, there's two on this card, which two or three is about as good as it gets, I think. Yeah. We were supposed to have Mackenzie Dern and Angie Hill, but we didn't. Uh... I'm going to go with, I do not, yeah, I don't, I'm going to go with Ji Young Kim um, to beat Mandy Bohm. I'm not a, uh, not a big, not a big believer in Bohm. Yeah, I hear that. If you're losing, you're losing to Victoria Leonardo and Ariane Lipsky, I, I question uh, whether you're, you're ready for the decision. And like, yes, um... We have not seen a lot of like recent wins uh, from Kim, but she's been in there like split decision. Jocelyn Edwards, like lost to Molly McCann, lost to the champion Alexa Grasso. She's 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 been in there and at times competitive with just a higher level of yeah. uh, of competitor. 
Yeah, she could. She could. She could have arguably won that Jocelyn Edwards fight that she's coming off of. She should have won yeah. the Priscilla Cachoeira fight. Molly McCann. She yes. lost the decision to Alexa Grosso was a competitive back and forth fight, man. So I, I agree with you. I think le- like despite the she's, fact that yeah, she she's also won. Fight. She's she's won three times in the UFC against really, um, really, really, really bad competition and two. Of well, those yeah, but isn't that? Decisions. Isn't that Mandy Balm though? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, absolutely. But that's the thing is the well, Justin Keisha is not bad competition. To be fair, she's actually more skilled than her record would suggest. But you know, Melinda Fabian, Nadia Kassin, that's about as bad bad as it gets in the UFC. You know, girls with like around five fights and and not the greatest records. Um, this yeah, is basically she should Mandy be Bohm. able. She yeah, she should be able to to beat Mandy Balm. Yeah, I'm there with you. Nick, for my next pick, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, and pick up in the Ian Machado, Gary, and Daniel Rodriguez matchup. This one is intriguing to me for many reasons. Ian Gary is looking like a pretty serious prospect, right? Offensively, he's fast. He's got good footwork. He seems to be very coachable, and it helps that he trains at one of the best teams on planet Earth, especially uh, a really good team in which develops fighters long-term, makes them just overall more solid, better fighters uh over the long term and he's in the room with a bunch of killers at all times at kill cliff ac fc excuse me um and and i I, like the thing is that he's shown some holes right he can get clocked he doesn't have the best chin in the world he recovers well he's got great cardio not the best chin in the world man and he's looked you know he's had rough moments against that meddling competition at times in the ufc and then we have daniel rodriguez who came in made a huge splash in his ufc debut uh beating tim means by guillotine right getting him out of there Gabe Green and Dwight Grant after that, which are like fine wins, lost to Nicholas Dalby in a close decision, um, and lost to that Neil Magny last time out, man. After a fight that he was really taking it to Neil Magny toward the middle of that fight, man. He was landing huge shots on Magny. Then Magny got him with the dark stroke after he was tired. He took that fight on short notice. I believe he took the Li Jing Liang fight on short notice, and a lot of people thought that he probably should have lost that decision. It was a split decision in his favor. Um, I just feel like in this matchup, right, Daniel Rodriguez is a really good boxer. We know this. As long as he had a proper training camp, which it sounds like he should have, as long as he had a proper training camp, he did withdraw in March against uh, Gunnar Nelson, right? So I wonder if there was an injury there, and now we're less than less than a, a couple of months after that matchup was supposed to happen. Um, as long as he's healthy, as long as he had a full training camp, I feel like he should be able to catch Ian Gary clean. My concern with Gary is that his cardio seems like bulletproof. He's a fairly young guy training at a high-level team. And we've seen Daniel Rodriguez get tired toward the end of the fight. But also, Ian Gary throws a lot of leg kicks. And Daniel Rodriguez doesn't have the best response to that being predominantly a boxer, especially a boxer with a really good jab, very front leg heavy, right? As he throws his southpaw jab, his right jab, that's going to be a great time for Ian Gary to throw that leg kick. But at the same time, all Rodriguez has to do is turn his knee in slightly, and he's checking that kick, right? As opposed to if he's facing a fellow southpaw and they can kick the outside of the leg, you know, you're a little bit further away from that check position. Um, I'm going to go for the underdog at plus 250. Are you kidding me? Daniel Rodriguez is plus 250? That's crazy talk. I've been looking for the right opportunity to, to fade Ian Gary. I think, this is, I think this is a good opportunity to do it. All else being equal, I think this is a close fight that, that could go either way. But I think Daniel Rodriguez is experienced at a pretty high level as long as he's had a good training camp. But that's the key, man. I'm not sure how committed he is at being 36 years old. He doesn't have a whole lot of miles on him. But I know that Ian Gary can't necessarily take the biggest shot. And Daniel Rodriguez is going to counter. He's going to get plenty of opportunity to counter. He's not super fast. Ian Gary's way faster. But I kind of feel like Ian Gary should be able to land a bomb uh, and change the tide of this fight at some point in the middle portion. And then as long as he has a decent third round, if he's not able to get Gary out of there, he should win. Yeah, you mean Rodriguez should be able to land a bomb. Um, yes, yes. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think I was going to make this pick. Uh, I think it's a really good underdog pick. I think that Gary is due for his prospect loss as he's gotten knocked down and or buzzed in two of his last three fights. Um, and Rodriguez is a prize fighter. He is going to be hunting for that 50K bonus. Yep. I think that's – and I think he probably sniffs it coming into this fight. I think it's more likely than not that he lands that he lands that shot. But we'll you know, we'll see. We'll see what kind of time uh, Gary gets to recover. Um, but good call. So that's a plus two for you if you get this. That's plus three, Nikolai. No, wait, no, it's not. Yeah, plus two fifty underdog or above is three points. I, I thought. Hang on a second. What are you doing over here, Nick? You're trying to. Oh, it's plus two. Oh, it's plus two sixty. Oh, it's three. That's a three point swing. Yeah, Fuck. buddy. Let's go. I was afraid you might make this pick one way oh, or the other earlier. Man, I should. I didn't think it was three. I thought it was two. I should have See, taken that to again, block it. Now that you said that, Nick. I know I'm gonna lose this pick. Now that Probably. you feel like you should, every time you say this, Nick, I end up losing that fight. So now I'm. Oh, really I actually. Rodriguez. <laughs> I should have taken Rosenstrike also because I don't think he's going to win, but there's an absolute chance that he touch Almeida has not gotten hit, and it, it you get hit by Rosenstrike, it's yeah. different. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true, and that, that could have been right, another well, three pointer uh, if if Rosenstrike does come through. But all else being the same, you're giving Almeida the edge, I assume. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a two-pointer then to counter your three-pointer. Uh-huh. I think it's very weird that Matt Brown is a plus 185, plus 188 underdog against Court McGee. Um, yeah, Court McGee is a pretty good wrestler. Matt Brown has been taken down a lot, but he's not terrible at getting up. And Court McGee is old. <laughs> like, it's not like he's like super explosive. This A lot of this fight is going to be um, two dogs standing across from each other, dirty boxing. And I... Power's the last thing to go, and Matt Brown with those shots and those elbows, I don't think Court McGee's chin would it, what it used to be. I think Matt, Matt Brown should be able to get Court McGee out of there. I might be wrong, but I'll take the underdog pick for a plus two. I don't think Matt Brown should be the underdog in a fight against Court McGee in 2023. The thing about it is that Matt Brown gets extremely tired over the course of a fight. You're right that he's extremely powerful, and Court McGee is coming off of his first knockout loss in... Since he fought Ponzinibbio in 2016. Only second knockout loss, I believe, in his career, right? So this is a situation in which Matt Brown could absolutely catch him in the first seven minutes. And Court McGee has made the mistake in a matchup against a guy like Carlos Condit and not going for takedowns. And that was just a couple of fights ago in 2020. Um, you know, his whole idea was, like, this is a fellow veteran. Like, I didn't want to hold him down like everyone else has been. And he lost the decision to Carlos Condit because Carlos Condit was still a, a longer, more effective kickboxer than him. And... So, like, that's that's the worry for, for Court McGee. But Court McGee has serious cardio. He's going to go for wrestling takedowns. And Matt Brown still doesn't have the best takedown, uh, takedown I mean, defense in went, the world. He went to a split decision with Brian Barberina a year ago. Brian know, Barberina you, you is... Keep, you keep talking as if Brian Barberina is, like, a high-level fighter. He's, he's better he's than... Good, I think, well, I think, I think he's better than Court McGee. I think he does everything Court McGee does, but faster and better. Um, I, he doesn't go for takedowns. He doesn't hold people down. Um, he does throw a lot of strikes and he hits harder. There's no doubt, but that's all he does, right? There's no, no... He used to he used to wrestle more. Yeah, did, did Barbarina. Um, yeah, it's just Matt Brown. Uh, like I thought, Matt Brown had the edge in that fight because they were both landing big bombs, and Matt Brown got five freaking takedowns. Matt Brown didn't even go for any control in that matchup, which is part of the concern. Carlos Condit got two takedowns on Matt Brown. Uh, let me see outside of that if anyone's gotten takedowns against him lately. No, actually, it's been a long time. Damian Maya obviously got three takedowns against him uh, in a rear naked choke win back in back in 2016. 
but Johnny Hendricks got nine takedowns, nine takedowns against him. I think that's understandable. Yeah, I just, uh, I just feel like, like you're right that it's a good two-point opportunity. I think you're making the right swing, but it's hard to be confident given the odds disparity. I totally see where you're coming from. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between. Let me see where I see less risk here between these matchups. Um, I think that I'm going to go for the Douglas Silva Dondrage versus Cody Stamen matchup. Here's the thing. If these odds were a little bit further apart, I probably would have gone for the two-point swing on Douglas Silva Dondrage. He's extremely dangerous. He looks like he's extremely dangerous, and he's every bit as dangerous as he looks. He's a guy who could be losing the first part of a fight, then come back and clock you upside the head, and, and the whole fight just changes the dynamic, and he could either submit you after or finish you off. Cody's statement, though, is pretty durable. He's extremely experienced. Um, he's, he's boxing is a lot better than it used to be. He's countering pretty well. He's attacking the body. Those left hooks against Luan Lacerdo was pretty good. Problem is that he's not dangerous at all, right? Almost every one of his wins, in fact, every win that, that I'm seeing here, has gone to decision. A corner stoppage against Zach Church at KOP 55 in 2017 is his last. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, he did. I'm sorry, he did knock out Eddie Wineland, which the UFC served him up a 40-something-year-old bantamweight. But he's just extremely undangerous. And in that matchup, even against Luan Lacerda, who was making his UFC debut, who's mostly just a grappler, it was touch and go there, man. It was looking too competitive in the second half of that fight. And Lacerda won the third round by getting a takedown and getting some control time. Um, so, like, even though he may land 15 strikes on you, you land two or three big shots on him, and it looks like he's losing at times. And so that's where the worry comes in. Douglas Silva Dondrage doesn't have the best takedown defense, though. And so I, I tend to think that Cody Stamen, with his out, high up with striking, with his experience, with his durability, right? If you look at the actual people that did beat him, it's Said Nurmagomedov, Mirab Devalishvili, Jimmy Rivera, Aljamain Sterling. Those are the only people who beat him in the UFC. That is a really, really, really high level list of opponents. Saeed is the worst opponent that's beaten them in a while, and he did submit him in the first round, which is concerning. Um, it, which I could see Douglas Andrade kind of finding that opportunistic finish, but I'm going to go with Cody Stamen by decision. This one could easily go the other way. What you got next, Nikolai? Nice. Uh, I, I agree with you there. Uh, there's a couple of fights left to pick. Let me check the odds on this one. You know, these odds are close. There might be, there's like some broader odds fights that I could possibly still pick. I mean, things are pretty tight right now. But I have, I believe it's since she left Syndicate. And like they had that little run there with John Wood when like Roxy was looking really good. And, and you know, was tightening things up where uh, where Joanne Calderwood, now Wood, um, you know, had a little bit of a run and Jesse Jess seemed to be turning a corner and was like winning some fights that she was not necessarily expected to win. But her last couple times out, she has looked, I don't know how else to say it, kind of like a tired Invicta fighter. Like, I don't think she's, um, I don't think her strength and her output are at the, are at like UFC level right now. Um, and this is like this is a pick'em fight against a Brazilian fighter making her debut, uh, Tanara Lisboa. But I don't. Uh, he was only five and two. But I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of confidence in Jessica Rose Clark's ability to uh, to win at this level. I don't know about her motivation. You know, she's thirty five. It's been about it's been a year and a half since she won. But those last two fights where she got subbed against Stephanie Egger and Yulia Stolyarenko, who like I didn't think was really going to get any UFC wins, um, were disappointing to me. I thought that her traje- her trajectory 
kind of came back down to earth and I think she could be an easy, not an easy mark, but a, a mark for, you know, for a prospect coming in. Now, this this Brazilian fighter on a three-fight win streak uh, is a Muay Thai fighter. I'm not sure what her jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, what her jiu-jitsu background is, but, like, yeah, I just, this is more me not being, having serious concerns that, that Jesse Jess can, can uh, win at this level. Yeah, I mean, I here's the thing about Tainara Lisboa. She actually fought Valentina Shevchenko, from what I understand, several years back in, in kickboxing. In fact, yeah, it actually is listed. Uh, back in 2010, she lost a decision to Shevchenko, kind of Shevchenko on her way up. Lost her MMA debut to uh, to uh, Norma Dumont by Rune Choke, but he was, she was doing pretty well up until then. She's a Muay Thai striker, just like looping shots, power shots all day. Um, doesn't seem to have too many other elements to her game, and she fights like literally every every year or two. It seems like although in twenty twenty one she she had a she had a couple of things uh, go down. Um, but if you look at the record of her opponents, her last opponent, the when they got her to the UFC, her opponent was one and four, and it took her to the second round to beat her by arm triangle choke. Her opponent prior to that, zero and one. Her opponent prior to that, zero zero and zero. The opponent that beat her prior to that was two and one. So like. She really has no experience against like decent opposition. The thing, the, and I think part of the reason that you're picking uh, Jessica Rose Clark, uh, picking against Jessica Rose Clark, is because she's kind of a head case. Good boxing, not the best defensive wrestling. She just makes bad decisions in there. Everything that she works on, she does the opposite. What she is told by her coaches to to not do, like don't get into the clinch with uh, with Stephanie Egger. She goes right into the clinch with Stephanie Egger. So she makes really bad decisions in there. She could absolutely lose this fight, but I got to go with her experience, man. Like even though she can't be relied upon, I've got to go with the fact that. You know, like her last few opponents have wins on their records, and and uh, and I don't know how Lisboa is going to react to the UFC stage, but we've seen plenty of Brazilian prospects, particularly Muay Thai-based Brazilian prospects, come in and look really good in the UFC against this level of opposition. So I totally see why you're making uh, this pick. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez. Natan Levy, karate background or maybe Taekwondo background. Throws lots of kicks, really effective with those kicks, as a matter of fact, and sometimes throws looping shots and, and crane kicks and hook kicks and spinning heel kicks and lands some of that shit. In fact, he landed probably all of that in his last fight. He's also got really good offensive wrestling and he'll control you. Um, he tends to get tired over the fight, but he just keeps pushing at 100% when he's tired. He does not slow down or give in or, or relent when he's tired, which is to his credit, but he's pretty hittable. A guy with good hands can do some damage to him, and it just seems like he's overthinking everything when he's in mid-fight. Whereas Pete Rodriguez, quite the opposite. He's a lot, like, he kind of looks like him a little bit and fights like Mike Perry from back in the day, except Pete Rodriguez is way faster. I would say his boxing is overall cleaner. Um, he fought basically the best that are, the, the best fighter you can fight in your UFC debut in Jack Taylor Magdalena, and then he fought, like, the worst fighter that you could possibly fight in the UFC in Mike Jackson. So it's hard to tell where he is in between that, right? Like, he could be really good and just a level or two below Jack Della, who's a much bigger man, by the way. But he was doing okay against him. He was making some good decisions, but he was getting roughed up by that jab. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna edge Lentown Levy here, but I think these odds could be an opportunity. If Pete Rodriguez was a three-point underdog, I probably would have considered him more strongly because, again, the guy's got good hands. Um, and in the bit of tape that we have on him in his first two UFC fights, like, he's he's fucking violent, dude. He's He hits really hard. He counters really well. Um, I think there's a chance he could pressure Natan Levy and catch him with a big bomb, but I'm going to go with Levy to win this by decision. Nice. Um... I'm going to go, and then you've got the... There's only two picks left, right? That's right. All right. I'm going to go with the co-main event. I, um... Oh, 
You got 31-year-old Johnny Walker against 34-year-old, I can't believe he's only 34, Anthony Smith. And, you know, Johnny Walker's been kind of unpredictable. Um, I, if he doesn't, like, get hurt in this fight, I just don't see Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith is still a very tough guy to get out of there. And you give him chances to stay in a fight, he will stay in the fight, and he'll often find a way to win it. I think that his fight IQ is and patience are far superior to Johnny Walker's. And that he's been in there with guys as explosive and as athletic. And that Walker has kind of walked away from some of those aspects of his game. I'm not that impressed with wins over uh, Paul Craig in in, in Kuntalaba. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Anthony Smith here. Um, also thinking that he didn't look terrible against Ankalaev before he got, you know, before he got injured. Um, the, the question really for me is how healthy is he? But if he's a dude who put out Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, and Ryan Spann in the first round within the last year and a half, you know, two years, um, and he's really only lost to like very elite opposition. You look at the losses in the last four years on his record, John Jones, Glover Teixeira, champ and champ. Alexander Rakic in kind of a boring fight. He wasn't really hurt in that fight. Uh, he just kind of got out grappled, and that's not going to happen against Johnny Walker. Uh, I think that I actually think the odds are disrespecting Anthony Smith uh, a little bit more than they should be uh, in this fight. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Smith. Yeah, I ended up edging Smith too. It's just the way that Johnny Walker wins is just a sudden moment of explosion, and I don't see. I don't. I don't think the odds are high. like Anthony Smith doesn't tend to lose that way, right? He lo- he loses. He lost the decision to to uh, John Jones. He he lost the decision to Rockich. Glover Teixeira put a long term beating on him before getting him out of there. On Kalaev, it was an injury with, but that's really the concern, right? Anthony Smith has over fifty fights in mixed martial arts. He's not like super old at thirty four, especially at two hundred five pounds, but he's got over fifty fights in his career. So at this point, right, like. His body's breaking down the way that he got injured against Ankalaev. I think he's had to pull out of fights here and there as well. Um, in, well, the, the Jamal Hill actually fight was going to be a contender matchup that, that was rebooked. He didn't pull out of that one. But, but you know, how how healthy can he make it through this entire fight with Johnny Walker being explosive, right? If his flying knee doesn't hit you in the, in the head. I agree, but he still has that in his back pocket, and we've seen that in these last couple of fights, right? Like, that he can have a moment, he's just more controlled, which is probably better for him overall. Uh, I tend to agree with you. I think Anthony Smith is really fast, especially early. His jab is a piston. Really, really good jab. Um, He will go for takedowns if he needs to, and and what we've seen, at least long-term, from Johnny Walker is that, like, he has really shitty defensive grappling. Once he is on his back, it's just on the way to getting him there is really dangerous. And again, Anthony Smith, not one to get sparked and taken out of there. Uh, I do think, like, over 50 fights into your career is a time when that could happen, and that I think that's part of the reason why the odds are so far apart. Um, also, you gotta you gotta give one credit one thing to uh, to Johnny Walker. Yeah, he lost to Jamal Hill, got starched in the first round, lost the tepid decision to Thiago Santos that could have gone either way, I guess. Um, but you know, Jamal Hill that that fight didn't didn't age so badly. Thiago Santos, he was working through a transition as he switched to uh, switched to SBG Ireland, but he did win his last two fights in SBG Ireland. So like, if he if he can walk away with a win here, you gotta give. Uh, John Kavanaugh some credit, I guess, for for making this one fighter maybe potentially slightly better than he used to be. But I, I tend to agree with you. I have to I have to go with Anthony Smith, who's got better fundamentals and not super easy to finish. Last fight is Brian Battle versus Gabe Green. This one I really struggled with. If um, 
if either these guys was a plus 150 dog, I would have gone with that for two points. But I just feel like Gabe Green, he's a really good pressure fighter. He's pretty slow, though. Even though he's, his speed has come up a little bit, he still kind of moves in slow motion compared to a lot of guys in this weight division. Whereas Brian Battle is fairly fast. He's got a super, super busy kicking game. He's relentless, like, like limitless cardio. He'll work through tough moments if he needs to. Um, I, I just feel like Brian Battle's going to tag Gabe Green at some point, who's been dropped by like pretty low-level UFC fighters. He'll come back and still win the fight. Um, his vision's supposed to be not that great. Like, There's a few things going against Gabe Green here, even though physically he looks like a monster and a beast and he always moves forward. I'm going to edge Brian Battle, even though Gabe Green on paper, the pressure style is what's supposed to work against kickers. But Gabe Green, he doesn't cut off the cage. He follows you. And I can see him uh, kind of following him right into a kick. Even if he blocks the kick with an arm, I can see Brian Battle's kick still buzzing Gabe Green through the forearm, which you know, which happens sometimes with a serious strike like that. So I'm going to give Brian Battle the slight edge, but this is a fight that could go either way. So Battle, it's is, a your, battle. is your pick. It's, you pick ba- battle, battle, is, battle is my pick. And by the way, there's probably this... an lost opportunity with his nickname in there somewhere. The butcher. I feel butcher. Come on. The um. Yeah, this is a this is one where like that Rodriguez pick could really fuck up our scoring. But I feel like I feel like we both picked. I feel like we both picked pretty tightly here. This is going to be interesting. I feel like this this uh, card on ABC. Weird bookings for an ABC card, by the way. But um. I feel like it's uh, you know it's going to be the equivalent of you and I doing a lot of like clinch fighting, dirty boxing. See who comes out on top at the end of this one. I think we. I don't think I made any. I don't think I made any picks where you were like that was stupid. Um, Uh, No, no, no picks. No picks that I thought were particularly stupid. I I thought I thought your order of picks was was fairly decent. I am like I'm feeling kind of confident just looking at the list of of the fights we each picked. Just quickly, you got a Carlos Olberg first. Took Alex Morono as your second pick. Your third pick was Ji Young Kim. Fourth, you took the underdog Matt Brown over Court McGee. Your fifth pick was um, yeah, for plus two, right? That's right. Tainara Lisboa over Jessica Rose Clark. And your final pick was Anthony Smith over Johnny Walker. My first pick was Carl Williams, um, Jailton Almeida. My third pick was underdog Daniel Rodriguez, which I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping for. I t- again, these these don't tend to to work out. It's probably going to be super close and go against me. But what are you going to do? Fifth pick for me was Natan Levy, and my last pick was Ryan Battle. Um, I, I'm feeling some level of confidence here, but I, I think there's a chance that all three of my last picks might not work out, uh, and and my first, you know, my first, my first two or two or three may may just come through for me. So we'll see. I'm, I'm curious how this. No, I, out. I feel I think you made good picks. Thank um, you. I think I've got. We'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to being um, in the lead this time next week, Nick. It's going to feel real, real it's, good. It's possible. It's been a while. It has two points apart, Nick. We might just tie it up by the end of this one. We'll see. Also, you might just pick up two or three points. Can you imagine? You're back to your lead, man. Everything's everything's working out in strides. Looking forward to seeing how this pans out next week, man. Yes, sir. All right. I will. And then we got, uh, what do we have next? Mackenzie Dern. Uh... Angela Hill, which was supposed to be on this card. And it's going to end up being uh, It's going to end up being the main event of next week's card. Did you know, as someone who's who's uh, who you know, you've said you're friendly with or friends with uh, Angie Hill... Do you know that? I haven't seen her in years. Her, mm-hmm. uh, well, do you, do you know that her grandfather was Barney Hill of Betty and Barney Hill? No, what's Betty and Barney? No, I'm not. I'm not. Well, as a, as a UFO enthusiast, um, <laughs> it is a no. It is one of uh, an. It's an amazing case. It was her grandfather, I believe, had remarried this woman Betty, and in the 1960s, uh, they claimed to have been abducted 
to seen and have been abducted by a UFO on a backcountry road. It was one of the first, uh, you know, American reported uh, and documented cases of an alleged UFO abduction. Tons and tons have been written about it. You can, I mean, I'm sure it's on Wikipedia, but uh, you can look it up. I did not know that until uh, until recently. No, I, I had no idea. Did you know that Angela Hill and I have the exact same birthday on the exact same day in the exact same year? Um, I did not know that. It's yeah. uh, I actually didn't know that back sh- back when her and I, you know, her and I were kind of on the New York scene. Um, I, I did not know that back then at all. I didn't realize we were literally born on the exact same day. Very far apart, though, Nikolai. I don't think she was born in Central Asia. Nikolai, pound, will... pound, pound for pound, do you think you're a, you think you're a, a better fighter? Uh, I think if you put us each in our current sizes against each other, I'm going to do well. But uh, pound for pound, she's got a shitload of UFC experience. If I'm a, if I'm a female uh, fighting in that division at her size, then she, on paper, again, should have the edge. Um, but again, given my size advantage, I very much like my odds. Against um, a against a one hundred and fifteen pound opponent. <laughs> I meant pound for pound. You know what I mean. Nick, double uh, the weight. How's that pound for pound? Double the weight of Angela Hill, or pretty close to it. That's gonna be an interesting fight to pick, Dern against Angie. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by it. it, it like I think five rounds also changes the dynamic a little bit. Gives uh, you know gives Dern more of an opportunity to to land that finish throughout a five round fight. Um, and, and it's interesting, like, both have gone five rounds before, so cardio-wise, I don't think either girl should have much of an issue. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. should be interesting, man. Looking forward to that. Have a great All rest right, of your good, week. All right, good, sir. Bye. You too. Bye.